When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Mike Singer, Mike Goolsby with this week's Mike Goolsby Show. Coming to you live on a Monday night, not on Sunday, because we figured let's not compete with the championship games, which, uh, you know, that that second game, Mike, was an absolute thriller between the Bengals and the Chiefs. Really looking forward to that matchup for quite a while. Uh, between those two excellent quarterbacks, we've done a good job saying bi-weekly during the offseason, Mike, so we'll mi- miss this upcoming Sunday, and then we'll probably go live um, the Sunday after that. Um, yeah, best yeah. of all, Mike, our podcast, my podcast, it's not rigged, you know, like like that NFL game yesterday. But some bad calls, some bad. Oh, there was there was some uh, questionable instances throughout the game, especially as the game kind of wound down. Where again, you know, your boy loves a nice conspiracy theory. Oh, I know you do. Getting the extra down, that punt return. There was two obvious blocks in the back. Lots to. Lots to talk about. You couldn't help but feel bad for the Bengals in that regard. I was listening to Tyreek Hill today, and Tyreek was asked, "Do you believe? Like, is the NFL rigged?" And he said, "I don't think so, but if it is, the players don't know about it. So maybe it is. Yeah, of course they don't. But no, I just, I mean, just you know, I'm sitting there watching the game, and it's like you know, San Fran. Imagine San Fran somehow pulls off that win." And does the NFL want San Fran to go to the Super Bowl with a four-string quarterback? Of course not, right? So, I mean, it's it's but it's Bengals, interesting. It's just Bengals something to pay attention to. Bengals chances a win-win for the NFL. You know, you take either of those teams if you're the NFL, right? It's a win-win. I don't know, man. I mean, I think, NFL, I think that I feel like the NFL anointed Pat Mahomes. Yeah. I think, you know, like ND fans have anointed Sam Hartman, you know, <laughs> we need some sound effects, but uh, I think, yeah, I think that if, if, you know, if you hooked up Roger Goodell to a uh, lie detector test, I think he'd prefer to have Pat Mahomes versus Jalen Hurts as opposed to Burrow just because of the market, et cetera. Okay. There's a little bit more cachet with, with the Chiefs. I hear you. All right, folks, so we're, we got a couple items to discuss, and then we are going to play an interview that uh, Goolsby and I did, uh, mostly Goolsby, um, with Aaron Taylor, the Notre Dame legendary offensive lineman, um, founder of the Joe Moore Award. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll play that. Really good conversation from this week. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we're definitely looking forward to that, um, for, to let you guys um, hear that full interview, and then Goolsby and I will react um, to what, you know, what Taylor had to say afterwards. There's some really good stuff in there from – um, you know, uh, talk about Sam Hartman. Um, does Taylor like him? Yes or no? We'll find out. Um, great Lou Holtz impression. Fantastic Lou Holtz impression. And then, and then who's, what's that? So one of the best I've heard. It was fantastic. It really was. And then, uh, Goosby and, and Aaron Taylor get into life a little bit. Um, you, maybe you'll, you'll cry a little bit. 
Um, I certainly did not, but maybe you will. I don't know. We'll see. But seriously, in all, in all seriousness, some really good stuff. Um, but first, Mike, some some news that came out. James Laurinaitis. Um, you know, usually we don't talk about a uh, graduate assistant leaving um, for a different job as our uh, a leading topic. But uh, when it's James Laurinaitis, um, I, I definitely thought that that was um, some some big news to discuss. So he was, uh, I think he was a radio host before um before joining the Notre Dame staff probably around this time last year and then yeah he joins Notre Dame as a grad assistant and then he is um I mean he did a really good job this past year too for the Fighting Irish um I I had been told Mike that um Al Golden was pretty much the defensive overseer and you know you go to practice he's overseeing everything Laurinaitis was a little bit more hands-on with the linebackers uh, kind of a pseudo like linebackers coach um and uh yeah he just got picked up by um ohio state and of course that is where he played um and and played with marcus freeman so do you have much of a reaction to this mike it's interesting right because yeah it's a ga it shouldn't be really newsworthy but during the offseason we're grasping at straws here at times yeah it wouldn't be new yeah again there's he has a little bit of a brand name because uh, he was an exceptional player, had a nice career in the NFL, et cetera, the relationship with Freeman. But based off of what you saw on the film and on the field from that linebacker position, I do think that there's probably – there's inevitably, Mike, there's room for improvement, right, bro? I mean, at yeah. the actual linebacker position, it's a little bit of a concern uh, for me because he's going to his alma mater – good for him but like we play them week four so if you mean to tell me that like everything that was discussed everything any sort of intel that he has about Notre Dame football program strengths weaknesses etc if you think that he's not going to share that with Ryan Day you're out of your freaking mind so that's a little bit of a a concern I think it's a valid one Uh, but in terms of like the on-field play I don't know much about recruiting anything other than the product of what you got a chance to see. I think that there's room for improvement at the position, um, but we can't be too critical on him because I think he's been out of football. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's not like he, you know, hung up his cleats and went right into coaching. I mean, there's gotta be an acclimation period for him. Yeah. So, but I guess he did good enough to get picked up elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 I, Look, him leaving, you know, going from a Notre Dame grad assistant to an Ohio State grad assistant is a fairly lateral move. Um, but it makes a whole lot of sense when, I mean, it's his own modder. Um, but part of me is like, man, it was, it was money. Like, it, it, did he get more money as a GA at OSU versus Notre Dame? But how much are GAs even allowed to make? Do you know much about the, the GA role, Mike, and, and kind of what that entails? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's my understanding he's getting a, he's getting paid to go be a GA over at Ohio State. But yeah, GAs don't make much, and yeah. to be you know by by title, you know you have to go to graduate school. So that's kind of the um, the balance there, right? So you're not going to get paid much if anything in the way of a salary. Call it thirty grand, just arbitrarily in a, a lesser program. I assume it's less money. I mean, there's a reason I never try to go do it. Uh, but then you're also in grad school. So that's like the trade-off. We're not really going to pay you much, but you can get your graduate degree. 
So that's, that's absolutely a thing. But yeah, I mean, the more you thought about it and it was just like, man, you know, if he's that tight with Freeman where Freeman got him hired. And again, I'm just, I love kind of stirring the pot coming up with these conspiracy theories, but it's like, if Ryan Day doesn't knock it out of the park at Ohio State, and he's been there for a few years, right? And they're competitive, but like, could you not see Freeman going over to Ohio State and then, you know, hiring his boy, uh, Laurinaitis, to be the linebacker coach? You know, it's just, I don't think he'll be missed. I think the, the on field performance, the on field product could be much better. Um, but it is, it is notable. He's yeah. an interesting guy. His dad's one of the road warriors, you know, from WWF way back when. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. You might be too young for that. But you know the Road Warriors are with the shoulder pads and all that? That's his dad, one of them. Don't ask me if it's Hawk or Animal. I don't know off the top of my head. But My uh, my WWF experience was, you know, Kane, Undertaker, early 2000s, late 90s. That's what got you? That's what brought you in? Yeah. I mean, that's just when I watched it with my family. That was, And then I was very sad when I found out that it was fake. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Okay. So you watched uh, WWF with your family? Me, my dad, my brothers, yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. What do you cool. think? Like me and my mom and my aunts are just like hanging around with my sister. <laughs> That's why I wanted to clarify. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, no, it was it was awesome. You know, Kane takes off his mask the first time. Oh, that narrative's great. Yeah, oh, they were yeah, fantastic. fantastic. The drama. Oh, I love me some drama. Yeah, The Rock. Yeah, it was great. It's a great time. So I, I, there's a couple comments here from uh, good old Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. He says, he seemed like the lead linebacker recruiter, um, which somewhat like Peyton Pierce, um, pull up his profile, is a, um, a, a big linebacker target for the Irish in the 2024 class, who I logged a prediction for after he visited Notre Dame's campus. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, you know, now, now Lauren Ice is going over to Ohio state. Pierce already has a Buckeyes offered. Guess what school Pierce is going to be looking at a lot more and is going to visit this spring. Naturally. Sure. Guys, um, you know, checking in there and I'll have more about this on blue and gold, probably Tuesday, you know, it, it hurts a little bit, but I mean, look he, at the end of the day as a grad assistant, like golden has to be, um, he's got to be a little bit more of a grinder. No, uh, this is kind of similar to Clark Lee and Nick Lazinski. Lee, uh, yeah, Lee was not a grinder of a recruiter at all. Like he was a good recruiter, but kind of Brian Kelly esque in that he didn't really work a ton at it. But when he did it, he was good. That's what I always said about Kelly. Lee was, you know, a little bit more professorial in his approach. And um, great word, you know, I got that from Lou Samoji. Um, That's what Lou always said about Clark. You know, he, he he did a good job, but never super not a big grinder. It was more Lazinski on that day to day. So if that's Golden too, which I, I would say is the case, if Golden's more of a you know, uh what, what what did I say? Overseer, then they're gonna need a new grad assistant linebacker coach to kind of fill that role. As yeah, well. I know Lazinski, I know Nick and he really seemed to be a very authentic person. And I think he really resonated with those, with the players, with recruits, et cetera. So that was a kind of a big loss. And then there's the conversation of are all ex players, this, just because you're a great player, or even a good player, does that make you a good coach? You know, there's interesting things. Some of the things that make you a good player, does that resonate as a coach? Just because you were fast and a great athlete, doesn't mean you're going to be able to coach right? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's not a good GM, you know, there you go. Yeah. Um, you could come up with dozens and dozens of examples. Sure. Um, so that's, yeah, 
it's 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 interesting. Like I said, I just I don't think it's uh my biggest my first thought about it is that the intel thing. The intel thing. It's of interesting. All the places you had to go, you know, you could have landed. It's the, the our week four opponent. Yeah. Yeah, Susan brings up a good point here. Yeah, he's if he's especially like I said, was like the linebackers coach. Like he can provide information on that like nobody else. Well, um, I think there was I think I remember reading something about um Jalen Smith, you know. Notre Dame, great linebacker, obviously goes and plays in Dallas. And then the Giants would pick him up conceivably. He's not a very good player anymore. Like he's lost the step. It's almost tragic in a way. But like, you know, for Intel in terms of, the, yeah, what, what does he know about Dallas as playing against, you know, their rival or playing for their rival in, in the Giants? Dude, it's it's yeah. a thing. It's absolutely a thing. Yeah. Any competitive advantage you can get that's within the rules, absolutely no you do. No doubt. I mean, I don't know how much they signed Jalen Smith for, but you know, if he helps, you know, them beat the Cowboys, it's worth it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely worth it. All right. Now let's, let's ask this question. I think someone even asked it. So Mike, are you coming on board to coach the linebackers? Let's uh, let's, let's do this number right here, Mr. Goolsby. Yeah. A a dream, I tell you, yeah. And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, one can only dream. Mike, I don't really have dreams, right. In terms of like when I'm, asleep but when i do the ones that i remember anyways and inevitably they're about football right uh yeah i mean of course you you, you'd love to you know think about something like that nobody's reached out to me um but i think to be a part of the appeal to coming back and and coaching and that's why i stay involved with you know even high school kids at this level not necessarily as a coach but on as a like in the private kind of sphere working with kids off the field but like being a part of something like that, it's real. You know, when you go off into the corporate world, I'm in sales. It's ironic because like any corporate environment, if they're talking about an initiative or a goal, an agenda, what do they do? They use sports analogies, oftentimes football analogies. You know, we got to push it over that goal line. You name it. Right. Um, and that's what you miss is like football is real. It's true. Um, so I think that'd be Super excited to be a, a part of something, but no, nobody's called me. I'm, I'm too much of a liability, Mike. I talk too much. It makes for good pod, but uh, if I was ever on, on staff at any school, I'd almost like ask to not speak to the media so I could keep myself out of trouble. Yeah. I can't help but be honest. Yeah, GAs are usually pretty pretty guarded from that. Okay, as we continue well, to Well, Aaron was up on the mic quite a bit. I mean, no, he was I don't think so. Maybe once. I saw him, I saw him more than once. I mean, you okay. know better than me, but. Continue to stir. What's up? What if you get that call? I mean, because Laurinaitis seemed to be doing really well for himself in radio, right? I don't know what else he did besides. I just know he had a radio. Did he have his own show, though, on YouTube? Oh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what his YouTube presence was. But he steps from that role into coaching. And obviously, you're, you're not really making much money as a GA. But then the upside of being you know, a, a future linebackers coach, position coach, you know, and then that the point you're making, you know, what, six figures and, and then a defensive coordinator. And now you're making, you know, in the 400, 500,000 range, the money's good. Notoriety all is good. Numbers, all those numbers you just cited are in reality, they're double, but yeah, you know, I'm talking low end, right. Sure. You know? sure, sure, sure. Um, does that, does that keep your interest? Yeah, like of course it does. Yeah, of course it does. Like I said, one can dream. You know, I would never, I could never 
I could never envision myself ever being a play caller or a coordinator ever. Uh, I almost don't trust myself that much, but in terms of teaching kids and like, maybe you could, maybe somebody could teach Maris how to like reduce and slip a block and things like that. That's what I teach my kids on the side now. Um, and I kid with them all the time. I'm like, man, I'm the best coach ever. It's like, anybody ever told you that before? They, they, you know, we all laugh, but I'd absolutely take that phone call. I mean, what would you be like as a recruiter? That's interesting. So I could say this, when we talk about having a motor on the recruiting trail. Um, and as we go, I feel like I'm auditioning now or interviewing Mike, but you are talk about a motor. Some guys are lazy. A, Michael, I don't play golf, never have. And B, I'm in sales. If I could tell you and share stories where, you know, I pursued an opportunity or pursued account for years, right? That ultimately means less to my bottom line than securing a Jalen Sneed, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you're talking about hours in the car, you know, you're trying to chase an opportunity. So like I, I tend to just kind of have a inherent motor. And I think, uh, like I said, I've been dealing with young people for the last 15 years on the side. Um, and I think the kids that I've worked with uh, kind of bears itself out. You know, I've had some studs that, you know, you kind of took them out of obscurity. Most recently that, that offensive tackle, he's got his 13th offer now. That's awesome. Yeah. So drunk Vigo says the moms of the recruits would love Goolsby's rugged good looks. Hmm. If you say so, it can't hurt. I'm sure, you know, yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's absolutely a, a thing. I mean, you know, every, every little, I guess it's a, an accumulation of little things that end up being a big thing. But yeah, whatever you can do. I guess what I'm trying to do here by stirring this pot is sure. speak this into existence. And then we get to break this news on the Mike Goolsby show, the final episode of the Mike Goolsby show. That would yeah. be awesome. Yeah, no, it'd be like I said, it'd be cool. I mean, it would be a great it's... reason to stop doing the Mike Goolsby show. <laughs> I've always been looking for one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, man, there's like, it's like, you know, and I've realized that as I've gotten older and older, you know, being 40 now, like when I talk ball, I could be exhausted, you know, haven't slept for a day. And like, I still, you know, it's like, you, it just, I, I light up. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool. But, you know, you got to kind of pay your dues. I don't know any of those guys. I know, I guess I know a couple of those coaches on staff, but I don't, I don't see that phone call coming, but it's fun. Fun to, fun to think about. All right, everybody, just keep tweeting. Tweet about. Or write your senator. Write your senator. Write your senator. Tweet hashtag Mike Goolsby to ND. Ghouls for GA, dude. Ghouls for GA. Hashtag Ghouls for GA. Come on, Mike. I like that even better. Here we go. Oh, boy. All right, we're going to type this in. Ghouls for GA. How about that? Do we like that? Hashtag ghouls for GA. I dig it, man. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do next is uh, we're going to get into our interview with uh, Aaron Taylor. Uh, nice. Fantastic, fantastic. He's a pro, isn't he? He's a, he's a freaking pro. Dude, that voice. If, if Goolsby's rugged good looks can melt somebody, that Aaron, that Aaron Taylor voice, man, it's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, but before we get into um, the interview uh, with Aaron Taylor, we're going to hear from our sponsors over at Augie's Locker Room, which is, of course, um, the place 
um, to complete your Notre Dame rec room. If you're a passionate Notre Dame fan and you're looking for a special item, Augie's Locker Room is definitely the place for you. Head over to their website, augieslockerroom.com. They have a wide selection of Notre Dame stadium pieces, jerseys, helmets, autographs, and one-of-a-kind Rockney items. You can, infi- you can find exclusive Joe Montana signed items and famous sculptor Jerry McKenna's miniature replicas of the bronze statues around the stadium. If Augie doesn't have it in store, he will find it for you. Visit augieslockerroom.com or if you're in South Bend, stop in at 1811 South Bend Avenue. Again, that's 1811 South Bend Avenue and see the vintage helmet display dating back to 1890 augieslockerroom.com give them a call 574-277-NDND all right folks let's go ahead and hear from aaron taylor this is a pre-recorded interview this was from wednesday so if you drop any super chats charlie do appreciate this says mike g is the perfect candidate as he is the notre dame man can coach and develop which is needed a bad at linebacker position can sell notre dame pitch firsthand appreciate it charlie if you're uh hanging around um, after the show, uh, we can we can circle back to that. But yeah, I definitely appreciate the super chat. So the, if you're going to try to drop a super chat during the Taylor video, again, this is pre-recorded, so he won't see it. We won't be able to get to it. So hold your super chats uh, until after the interview. It's about 45 minutes. Again, folks, fantastic stuff. And without f- further ado, yes, hashtag goals for GA. Without further ado, here's Aaron Taylor. All right, let's move the show along. Uh, the Mike Goolsby Show bringing in. Uh, he, he really doesn't need much introduction. It's Aaron Taylor, uh, Notre Dame legend, Super Bowl champion, two-time consensus All-American, uh, Lombardi Award. The, the list really does go on and on. I, I'm honored to be doing a show with a couple of Notre Dame legends here. Uh, Aaron, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, Mike. You uh, forgot to mention that I won the fourth grade spelling bee. People often overlook that, but, you know, represent is what I got to say, you know? Tremendous. That's a real Notre Dame man. Uh, yeah, Aaron, thanks for being on with us. Can't thank you enough. Um, just jumping into this, bud. Now, we well, we weren't teammates in college. We both played for Lou Holtz in that uh, I played in that Japan Bowl back in 06, which you ended up calling. Um, so we'll get into Coach Coach Holtz and all that, but that's we do have a, a little bit of a connection there outside of just being you know ND ex ND ND ball player. So uh, very cool. But yeah, I wanted to bring you on. I'm kind of making an effort during the off season to bring on former players. There tends to be a recency bias, Aaron, in terms of like people think of the best guard that that ever played at Notre Dame, right? They're thinking Zach Martin. They're thinking Q Nelson. Mm-hmm. It's like. But Aaron Taylor was a bad mofo in his own right. Um, so that, that's a big thing. And, you know, Singer just touched on it. Two-time All-American, Lombardi finalist, Super Bowl champ, first-round pick, College Football Hall of Famer. Talk to, talk to us about, like, who you were as a player. Go way back in time. What made you, outside of your physical gifts, what made you so special? Well, first and foremost, I want to admit that I'm in the uh, Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson camp. As being okay. the <laughs> so I, I have some recency bias as well. It sure would have been fun playing with him and holding a clipboard and being a backup. Uh, man, I, I think myself, like a lot of guys that choose Notre Dame are dudes that aren't afraid of working hard and being challenged. Uh, that's on the field. That's in the classroom. Our class included Jerome Bettis. It included, you know, now Pro Football Hall of Famer Bryant Young, who was my best and still is best friend. Um, there, there was so much competition there. And when I got to Notre Dame in the 90s, 
1990, we were two years removed from the last national championship. Can we, can we work that out and maybe get that change here in the next couple of years? But uh, so things were flying. It was right on the front end of the NBC contract, which was unprecedented at the time. And um, all of our home games were televised. It was good to be an Irishman back in the early 90s. And we were so good and so talented. You had to be at your best every day. So I was a leader in high school. I was a captain of my team, but I didn't know anything about leadership until I got to Notre Dame and Holt started chiming in with all these life lessons and how we win and do right and all the different things that we heard. But really watching the Mike Helts of the world and, and watching the Lindsey Knapps and the Gene McGuire's and the Mirko Yurkovics. Those were the guys that taught me how to lead. Chris Zorich, he was my big brother when I was on campus. Mm -hmm. So I ended up being what all Joe Moore guys were, and that was an ass kicker, looking to finish, looking to punish. And what's really interesting, when I look back, because I created the Joe Moore Award, doing the research, there's been some things that really kind of have, have evolved and just brought themselves forward that I think will specifically address the question that you asked, what type of player I was. What I realized is Joe was so great, and he sent 52 dudes to the NFL in three uh, or in 18 seasons, almost three per year, because of belief. And the way it worked is first he believed in us, and then we believed in his belief, and finally we believed in ourselves. And when that happened, people had problems because we kicked the dog mess out of people. So the way that we developed that belief was this strict adherence to the fundamentals, the basics over, over and over. So we were expected to lead the team. We were blue collar, hardworking uh, guys that, that gelled as a unit. And I just was one of many guys that I think embodied those characteristics. So it sounds like a standard was set. The bar was set, non-negotiable. This is where we need to be. No, there was uh, there was no negotiating, man. It uh, I think we all survived the the trauma of playing with Joe Moore because he had this innate ability to get us to be the best versions of ourselves, despite our best efforts to you know to the contrary. So there were a lot of days we thought about you know how can we cut the brake lines on his car, maybe put some sugar in his thing. <laughs> know anything about explosives maybe we blow his car up like we would talk about this as we're walking to and from loftus back in the day going to practice but uh to a person he wanted what was best for us and he demanded that and it was never about him or his ego and somehow that got communicated and translated and that's why i think we allowed him to let us work uh or, or to allow him to to work us so hard because we knew ultimately that it was about us yeah nothing uh Nothing says respect there and like wanting to put sugar in your coach's gas tank, but I get it. <laughs> so I think part of that comes with the territory with these O-line coaches, right? It is a fine line. I mean, every O-line coach has a certain type of DNA, right? Um, what do you see in terms of like similarities between Coach Moore and Coach Heastan, the current O-line coach in Notre Dame? Man, they're, uh, Harry's cut from the same cloth. Joe Moore was a mentor of his. So Harry's a disciple of, you know, the simplicity of offensive line play and belief in the basics and fundamentals. You go to practice. I've never been at a Notre Dame practice on 2025 or 30, you know, since Harry's been on that staff now his second time where they didn't finish with 20 plus minutes of intense, 100 percent max effort mirror dodge. And that would be after conditioning took place. It didn't matter. And what's interesting is that Harry coaches the scout team possibly harder than he does his own guys. 
because he understands and, and, and values the importance of the show team or the look team to getting guys to strain because you don't reveal where your weaknesses are, what you need to work on until you're pressed and maxed out effort-wise. So just they're so similar from that standpoint. But Joe was – I think his mastery was simplifying the complex, and it's that you know belief in the fundamentals and the basics and the over and over and over. People get bored with that. But Joe would reverse engineer what good blocks look like. And I remember walking into the first meeting my freshman year and he said, you know, we're a team that likes to run the ball. He said, I grew up in Pittsburgh and sometimes, you know, my car would run out of gas and I'd have to push the car in the snow. What I do when I got behind the car, did I put my elbows out and start chopping my feet real high? No, you got behind it. My elbows were in. I got my shoulders low and I drove my legs until I could accelerate to get that car to move. That's how you run block. It was like, got it. Now I know what we're talking to do. And I had an immediate point of reference that I couldn't have my elbows out, that I had to have inside leverage so that I could control the defender. I had to have up and down leverage, my pad level. I had to accelerate on contract, not to, but through the defender with my knuckles up so that I could tip him over, ass over tea kettle and finish the play. And straining, sometimes it feels like a stalemate, but at some point that defensive lineman has to let go. And if you're accelerating, that's when you can get the pancakes. So it was all those little details that he required us over and over and over that allowed him to be so great. And it's like being in a damn time machine going back and watching Harry on the field because it's identical to what we had at Notre Dame. And I think Harry's track record, both with the success of Notre Dame and his players sure. going on to the NFL, speaks for itself. So, guys, obviously we're talking about some legendary Notre Dame coaches here. Uh, there's one guy we haven't mentioned yet. It's Lou Holtz. Mike, you played for Lou in the Japan game. I want to go to that, and then I know you You know we can follow up with uh, with Aaron about Lou Holtz. Yeah, Aaron, I mean, I was with Coach Holtz for a matter of maybe 10 days, you know, over the collective time we were together. Uh, this is my first time meeting the man also. Okay. I'll never forget how small he was. I mean, he's a, he is a small person, but with that, just the amount of respect he commanded, you know, the along with having a sense of humor, et cetera. But you talked about belief and you've got all these hold stories. We'd love to hear a couple, you know, but um, the belief, like we went into this Japan game, Tony Rice was our quarterback. Tony couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. God bless him. So we switched over a corner, the DB to play quarterback, like two days before the game. But the belief, Coach Holt is like, we're not losing this game, you know? And it was like, he's right. You know, come hell or high water, we're going to figure out a way to win. And you believed it. Mm -hmm. um, how much of, like, Coach Holtz bled into Coach Moore, vice versa? Could you touch on that? Uh, that was an oil and water situation. Oh, no oil and vinegar, I should say, which the net result was you got a, a good vinaigrette but they were very different in their styles and approaches. And I think what Holtz, you know, appreciated about Coach Moore is that Coach Moore didn't care what Coach Holtz wanted or thought. He wasn't intimidated at all. Huh. He just wanted to take his guys, you know, back behind the shed in the back of the field and get some work done. But Holtz's ability, he was one of the gifted, most gifted speakers I've ever been around and seen. And you're right with the humor. You just pull the string and he just goes and goes and goes. And there's these incredibly funny stories or these meaningful ones. Um, but I think what he was able to do is he taught us how to be good people and good husbands and good sons and good employees 
along with helping us be the best versions of ourselves as an athlete. And it was that those life lessons that got sprinkled in that always had to do with football, but didn't really have to do with football that mm -hmm. I think he was so amazing at, at galvanizing us to get us to play together with a singular focus and effort. So, I mean, aside from the X's and O's, what you got to see for, for 10 days, Mike, is, is what I got for four straight years. And I remember as a sophomore, it was the first year I was starting. Most times I didn't know where the play was going left or right. And Gene sure. to tell me what it was about, run or pass, and what direction. You know how fast it moves when you're just starting getting playing. And it was late in the year, about November. And we were, you know, going against the scout team. And I, I was pissed off at the D-line. And I think it was uh, Oliver Gibson. So I was going to crush him on this play. So I come off the ball and overstep on my first step, which is, you know, rule number one for an O-lineman. You don't have a base and you can't react. And he slants inside and whack, smacks Dorsey Levins, who goes down. Coach Holtz come up, Aaron Taylor, get your ass out of my drill. What are you doing? You're going to get somebody killed, son. Like, no, no, coach. I got it. I got it. Let, let me get, let, run it again. Let me get in this. Get your ass out. Run the play. So I think it was Mark Zedovsky was the backup. He puts his chin strap on and, and runs in. He, you get your ass out, too. You're not worth a damn either. <laughs> so it's this whole big thing, right? So he's being loud about it. Get out. Run the play again. So you get in the huddle. There's only 10 people. They call the play. They get back to the line of scrimmage. The left tackle lines up next to the center. Line up exactly the way you were as if Aaron Taylor was in there. <laughs> So they're looking around like, what's happening? So Lindsey, you know, gets over to the left. The defensive line doesn't know where to line. He tells Oliver to get in the center. Yeah, everybody's scared. Everybody's scared. Nobody knows what to do. Yeah. And yeah. the defensive guys on the other side of the field. Sure. Like, what's going on down there? Yeah. Run the damn ass play again. <laughs> Blue 52. Blue 52. Set hut. Oliver Gibson slants inside, hits the running back, drops him in the same exact spot, and Coach Holt starts coming run over to me, grabs me by the face mask, says, see Aaron Taylor, doesn't matter whether you're in there or not, no difference. <laughs> so, he obviously made a point. <laughs> what we do matters. And then when we don't do our jobs and we don't use proper technique, other people can pay the price, and that's not okay. So he taught me that very valuable lesson in that big charade. But everybody else that got to witness that also got that lesson. And to this day, I credit that being the secret sauce and the hidden element of what allowed him to be so successful is that he had a million of those stockpiled away or that either came to him in the moment that really allowed him to teach us how to be good players and good people. Yeah, Aaron, moving into some current Notre Dame topics <clears throat> with Holtz. And the time you've spent with Freeman so far and what you've observed, you know, since he's become the head coach, is there similarities that you see between those two? Uh, I haven't spent any time with Marcus other than just watching what's taken place. It seemed like it was moving pretty fast for him early on. And that was one sure. of the questions was, man, this is a big ass job for, you know, your first gig. You, you're a tremendous coach. You're, you know, a bright and rising star. But is it too much too soon? And the first couple of weeks, you're like, oh, damn, probably so. But if you're going to go long, put your money on Jack Swarbrick and being able to identify talent. And it was amazing to watch the transformation throughout the season 
as the trajectory started going up. And was it consistent, you know, quarter to quarter, game over game? No, but was the trajectory up and to the right? Absolutely all season long. And I thought a big piece of that was was bringing Harry Heastan back. I thought that was plus two wins and certainly seemed to be the case against that impressive output they had against Clemson. So um, what was so noticeable to me was the presence that he had on the recruiting trail and his drive and his work ethic. The game has changed, man. I'm 50 years old. I'm a damn dinosaur. And what you're watching in the coaching world is coaches getting younger and younger and younger because of what's required and necessary to recruit at the level that you need to have a chance to win. NIL has been a game changer and has been, you know, tailwinds for some programs, headwinds for others, and maybe a little bit of each in our case, but it takes that effort. So that was something I saw that was different, but Holtz was a grinder, not necessarily on the recruiting trail. He was a grinder in meetings and making sure guys were caught up to speed. So at the end of the day, the currency of a head coach is wins and losses. And I think Notre Dame's a pretty good valued stock right now. And people should load up Irish fans because I think the future is going to be very, very bright for us. Yeah, one more question before I throw it back to Goolsby. So you mentioned how tight you are with Bryant Young. Now, his son just on Tuesday night picks up offers from USC and Penn State. Of course, he's got Notre Dame, Tennessee, Duke. He's got a fairly long offer list at this point early on in his process. Do you talk to Bryce much? He's a top Notre Dame target in this 24 class. So as the guy who covers recruiting at Blue and Gold, I definitely wanted to sneak that question in. Do you, do you talk to Bryce at all about Notre Dame? I do. And he was actually at the uh, the football uh, college football Hall of Fame presentation we had in last year's spring game. DY brought him up and kind of told me that, you know, he was interested and maybe had an offer from Notre Dame at that time. And um, I saw him at the Pro Football Hall of Fame at Bryant's personal party after the ceremony. Um, so my my energy there is more of an uncle and you know not getting into the minutia there's nothing that I could tell him that his parents you know haven't already said a hundred times over I mean the success that he's had the household that he grew up in like he's he's a guy that you want to be able to put some money on as well because he's he's the type of dude not only you want in the locker room but you want lined up on the edge when it's third and eight and you need somebody to get home so um it's more it's funny man like Football people think that all football people talk about is football. And right. when you're at work and, you know, I'm in the studio, that takes place. But when you're not, you're just normal dudes and you're talking about what it is you want. So I try not to talk to football yeah. with Bryce. You know, I talk to him about what he's interested in, what video games, what players he likes, you know, fantasy football stuff and just normal kid stuff. Because I know that once he makes that decision and ends up being on a roster, the uh, the luxury and the purity that you may experience on the high school level slowly starts to go away. And that's when the pressure starts to mount. And we really have to fight as players to find that balance between enjoying what we do and, and being driven to make sure that we can excel. And that's a, that's a, I think that's part of the, for the right kid here. And I think that's part of the draw to a Notre Dame, you know, as an actual player is you do find some balance. You know, it's, I can remember you go, you're telling that story about, your sophomore year coach, coach Holt's kind of roughing you up. It's like, it's nice at times to be able to go back to your dorm and live with a regular student and to be able to just disconnect for a time. It's, it's nice. Um, you mentioned coach Freeman, younger coaches being more invoked because that's really what's required. Is that from like a, just an energy perspective in terms of the recruiting piece? 
That yeah, I doing? think that's the driver there for sure is just, I mean, it is nonstop. I used to get a, a letter that somebody else typed up for Holtz and he would sign maybe. Sure. He learned that, you know, his secretary was pretty good as a signature and would sign footballs and things. Um, but it's a young man's game. It's nonstop, 24-7. These staffs have grown and grown and grown. Now there's, you know, the internal production companies for social media or departments that go on. It's just, it's nonstop. And it's this arms race of no different than what we're seeing in social media that creates these extremes because you have to cut through because there's so much noise. Programs have to do that themselves and it becomes increasingly more difficult. So you've got to fly out to Las Vegas and film a movie short to be able to garner the attention of these young kids who are, you know, swiping and locked into TikTok and YouTube shorts who's got an attention span of less than a goldfish. You have to find unique ways to stand out. And that gets harder and harder and harder for Nick Saban. Now, Nick grinds as much as he does and he will jump on a helicopter and go to a player's game. They'll have summer camps where 600 people come in because they want to look at three of those guys that they are recruiting. They want to see them up close. They still do those things that's part of the grind, but it's becoming younger and younger and younger. And let's be honest, Mike, like I was at the tail end where water made you a wussy, right? Like you need water? <laughs> wuss, what? Like, so we've come a long way. Holtz had a great quote. He talked about in our era, it was about expectations and obligations. And he said, now kids want explanations about what it is they're doing. I completely butchered that quote. So don't blow me up on social media. I get it though. Yeah, I get you just. Yeah. But you get the gist of, of what he was saying. These kids ask why. Why are we doing this now? Why do we got to do this? Why do we got to do that instead of just running through the brick wall? So that takes a younger coach to kind of understand the mentality because the world that these kids are growing up in looks nothing like the world you grew up in and certainly not the way the world that I grew up in, definitely not the world that Harry Heastan grew up in and on and on and on. So that's not for everybody, which is why a lot of guys are, are leaving college and going to the pro ranks because it's just easier. You get paid more money to, to work less and make it more about football instead of kissing the ring of, you know, 14 to 17 year olds. Yeah, yeah, we're going to keep it moving on, but I, I got to go back to this Freeman Holtz thing. And like, you know, so I'm, you're 50, I'm 40, right? It's an interesting transition. Like I didn't get a cell phone until my junior year of college. And I did so begrudgingly just to give you kind of a glimpse back into time. When I was recruited and I, and I figured when you were recruited, Notre Dame probably carried more weight, you know, and I know that coach Holtz had such an affinity for the school that's not the case anymore in terms of recruiting, right? So I think it's going to be like fascinating, truly fascinating to watch Coach Freeman. Yeah, I don't know if the word is modernize, Aaron, but just bring Notre Dame like back into the spotlight. You know, he's a handsome guy, charismatic as hell, has a great brand. That's going to be interesting to see how he can kind of transition that program into like modern day relevancy, not quite as like stuffy, the tradition. I don't know if that resonates with young kids like it did with you and I, right? Yeah, it, it's spot on, Mike. And I think it's a different message to the same end game, if you will. And I haven't talked to Jack about this, but I suspect that's part of why he chose to hire internally and hire a young guy in a Marcus Freeman, because he can talk the language of these kids. Uh, it's a different relationship. To go to Notre Dame, you got to be 
you know, off your rocker a little bit because there are much warmer, much easier scholastic institutions to go to to make it to the NFL. So if you're a guy that chooses to go to Notre Dame, you probably got an opportunity to go to any, you know, school in the country. And that's what certainly was the case with us. So there's something about the appeal of living with, you know, the student body as a freshman, uh, of being able to be challenged in the classroom, of, you know, expecting to graduate and, just some of those things aren't as emphasized maybe at other places. So the encouraging thing is, you know, adapt or die is football 101. And that's been a timeless thing. Sam Hartman is, is Notre Dame's quarterback. That dude's thrown 70 plus touchdowns in the last two freaking years. He is an incredibly gifted next level NFL style quarterback Back in the day, Notre Dame would have never accepted a transfer. Very few guys ever left. And if it was, it was because they were trying to beat, you know, beat people to the punch on the grades and the academics because they were going down quick. So they had to go, if you will. But Notre Dame is modernized itself with the stadium, with the scoreboard, with the field, and now with, you know, transfers and collectives. And you've got to be able to stay fresh and contemporary so that you can, you know, have a chance to compete on the national level with the elite of the elite, what we're seeing out of Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, like those dudes. I remember the 2012 game, man, when we got to the national championship, they were in the tunnel and the broadcast had them going and then Notre Dame stopped and all the Alabama players walked by and then we continued. And there was such a stark difference between the body styles that I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Football is still a game of blocking and tackling, and they got creatures we just ain't got. So that's one of the things that has prevented us from getting to that next step. But oddly, elite quarterback play has also been that. So with Sam Hartman coming in, man, with that offensive line and the running backs that we have, defensively, you got to pick your poison. So we can now get into a situation where if we're playing a, a up-tempo team, we can get into a shootout and have a shot, and that just simply wasn't the case but we'll be moving forward while playing aggressive blitzing style defense that can get itself off the field. Yeah. I got one more thing for, uh, for Aaron, then Mike, you can wrap this up. So you just kind of touch on exactly what I'm going to get into. You bring in Sam Hartman year two, Marcus Freeman. There's not the, all right, well, eight, eight wins or eight or nine wins this season. That's year one. That's fine. But year two, expectations are pretty high with Hartman. What are you feeling about Notre Dame this upcoming season? Then just kind of moving forward as Notre Dame wants to, uh, you know, get a national championship? I think we have a chance to be nationally relevant. And certainly when the playoff expands, I think that's going to be a real helpful piece for us because now we don't have to be in the top four. We have to be in the top 12. And that doesn't necessarily lower the bar, but it does open some doors and create some opportunities that otherwise might not have been there. I'm super bullish on the Irish. We have some holes defensively that we have to get filled. Obviously, we lose some talented players on the offensive side, but you show me any championship team and that includes Georgia the last two years and Alabama before them. And you go down the line, there's elite offensive line play, at least on that side of the ball. And Notre Dame's got a chance to have that. And when you can bring those different facets to the table offensively, you're going to be fine. Defense hasn't been our problem. It's been offensive and primarily that quarterback position. So I think with some young, talented players that are coming in, the fact that you can go into the portal and get an experienced player who can be a day one starter, I think Notre Dame's going to enjoy some success here in the next 10 years that we probably haven't seen in quite some time. 
Speaking of uh, relevance, maybe programs on the rise, talk to me about Deion Sanders real quick. I, I imagine you probably uh, cross paths with him as, as, a, as a player. How, how close are, are, uh, attention are you pay, paying to him as a, as a coach and what he's doing at Colorado with transfers, et cetera? Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts. Um, first of all, I, I think his exit speech to the players that he filmed and allowed us to watch was extraordinary. I'd never seen that situation other than being in the room when it was taking place with us. And he had an intention, and that intention was to create opportunities for other blackhead coaches not to, you know, grab another money bag. That He had no problem with that, and that was kind of the gist of what he was talking about. Um, Prime doesn't have, like, he has no Fs to give, man. Like, there's nothing he needs, there's nothing he wants other than to help other people, and that can be threatening in the eyes of administration. Nobody likes a loose cannon, but the one thing, rightly or wrongly, you have to respect about Deion Sanders is that he tells you how it is. He sure. tells you what you're thinking. You may not like it, you may disagree with it, but you don't have to worry about what that is. I was shocked that Colorado did that. I know some of the history and how hard they've made it to bring players in to compensate people. That's part of the some of the issues that go on in the Pac-12. So I was shocked. But then there was another video about day one. And I know some kids and parents of some kids that were in that room and, and heard some of that speech that we got a chance to see. And it was like, whoo. Man, how's this going to work out? Grab your popcorn because he was challenging people. He announced his son as a day one starter. He talked about cutting guys. And I think why people reacted so strongly to that is that it was the first time that we had ever seen that publicly on the outside. Everything he's done and said in his approach has always taken place behind the scenes. Big time football. That's right. That's right. So I think people have struggled with that because it's so in their face and it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out because that culture is changing. The quality of the talent is significantly higher now than it was at the end of last season. So the changes are starting to take place, but I'm wondering if there's some oil and vinegar there, the old school establishment with, you know, the expected behaviors. Dion's not going to play that game. And if Colorado's willing to let him do it, I'm really eager to see what, outcomes that can produce yeah he is just a fat i mean you go back to him as a college player creating that persona i mean he's still doing it he's um he's like a savant i can't get enough of it you've heard coaches your whole lives i mean both of us you in, in some of the stuff you kind of buy some of it's just kind of hot air i can't get enough of Dion. i mean i'm watching his show on amazon prime right now it's like i just cannot get enough of the guy but last couple things aaron 50 years old Watching a Notre Dame game, watching any college football game, I asked Brady Quinn the same question. Do you look at it through the eyes of a player, ex-player, or do you look at it through the eyes as an analyst nowadays? TV kind of ruins you because you're acutely aware of the production and what's happening, what's supposed to happen. Ooh, ooh, the BA is going to get in trouble for that because that graphic popped up late or a second early. Like like you can't watch – any sports broadcast normally once you've been in the business, or at least I can't. Um, when I'm watching a game, there's kind of two different levels of focus for me. I can have a game on the background and just casually enjoy it as a fan, which is what I usually do for Notre Dame. 
And then there's what I do as a football person and start with the safeties and work back and see if the middle field's open. Is it closed? You know, what the down and distance are and, and try to, you know, play football in my head about what adjustments, what they're trying to do, what adjustments you can make and that sort of thing. Uh, when I watch Notre Dame, it's for pleasure. You know, I want to watch the offensive line because Harry's there and I know, you know, what sort of creatures he creates. Um, but I think what's really important for fans to understand is that our experience of the games are very different than their experience of the games because we participated on those teams. It's a, a different element. And there's, at least for me, and I'm speaking for myself, a disconnect that takes place because football ultimately, I think, and I've thought a lot about this, football ultimately is a people game. And although it's the same uniform, a lot of the people that are there at Notre Dame aren't my people. I don't know the kids. I haven't met the kids as I go back for camps and I'll be at the Notre Dame offensive line camp on June 3rd. I think it's going to be with Harry. That'll start to change things. But when I watch other games in the NFL, I'm rooting for people and position coaches. I want those guys to do well because I like them as people. So with Harry being back at Notre Dame, I watch a little bit more intently. I root specifically for the offensive line and those sort of things. But I'm not throwing stuff at the TV if Notre Dame gets beat. I don't have the fan reaction. Now, I will if my picks and predictions on what we do on our show aren't going well. I will root, you know, absolutely for Alabama one week and against them the next and have that same passion as a college fan because that's when things are at stake for me. Whereas with Notre Dame, um, it's a fondness of a place that I was, but mm -hmm. it's not my team. My team was the 94, you know, 90 to 94, but it is my school and it is Harry Heastan. And that's the connection that I feel. It's uh, an uncle versus a, a parent energy, if you will. I get it. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not as intimate. And there's yeah, there is a certain level of disconnect to the program. Yeah, I, I can relate. I can relate. Well, the last thing I, I, I really wanted to get to this, the reason I reached out to you, I had seen just on my Twitter timeline, you had, you had filmed a couple different videos and they were like so poignant about the transition beyond athletics. Mm -hmm. um, it's something I'm super passionate about. I ran into Will Compton from, you know, busting with the boys. He was on the sidelines pregame sidelines before the Clemson game. And he and Taylor Lewan, they touched on it a little bit on their podcast. They had uh, Lendell White on there. Yeah. And he was talking about how depressed he was when football, you know, when he had gotten cut and how Chris Johnson, you know, CKY2K, whatever, he saved his life, you know, yeah. made a move in with him because he was just lost. And you called it before we jumped on camera, you called it stuck in the soup. Yeah. Uh, so you had said in your Twitter video, it took you a decade to kind of come up with these five pillars of fulfillment. I'm imploring you to write a book because I'm telling you, you dead nuts, you nailed it. Uh, could you just elaborate on that? You know, income, identity, purpose, significance, community. Yeah, um, those are what I call the five pillars of fulfillment. And when I was playing, those were things I was completely unaware of. Sure. And I think on top of that, another lens to look through is what I call the elusive sweet spot. Things we're good at, things we enjoy doing, and things we get compensated really well for. That was the currency of football, whether you're on the collegiate level, now it's actually money, versus value and significance and some of those other things that we receive. 
So when it's done, we don't know what we don't know. We really don't know what it is we lost and why we're feeling this way. Instead of feeling confident and a part of and connected, we feel alone and isolated and depressed with, you know, lowered mood because we have no reason to get out of bed. We have no, you know, circumference or validation to let us know we're doing a good job. Good read, good play, good adjustment, good punch, good recovery. Like all that stuff in an instant goes poof. So many of us, not knowing what we lost, we you know start flailing. And it took me to your point about a decade to kind of get some clarity about not only what it was I was missing, but also what it was that I could do to replace those things. So mm -hmm. you mentioned income. That's the value that we receive for the value that we bring. In the NFL, certainly that was monetary and collegiate. You know, there were the other things that I talked about, scholarship significance and so forth. The identity piece is how I'm known to the world. But there's this other piece underneath that that I think many of us struggle with, which is how am I known to myself? I've only ever known myself. So as true, Aaron, that's so true. Right. Yeah. So that's the one where we start to grapple. And those are the easy ones that when you retire, you see how quickly they go away. But beyond that, what we're also asleep to, in my opinion, is the significance piece, how I make a difference. I'm, I do my one eleventh and I have to do it at 95 plus percent or they're going to get somebody else's ass in there to do it. So I see every play, every practice, every drill, how significant I am. The purpose piece. You know, why I'm put on this planet. There was never a time, Mike, that you ever got out of bed when you were playing where you didn't know what needed to get done that day to help get you better and, and get on the field or become a starter or help your team win. You didn't have to think about it. It was all laid out. And then the fifth and final pillar is community, how we're part of something greater than ourselves. When we retire and that moment comes, poof, all of that evaporates. So there's a lot more that goes into that. There certainly are other pillars, but those five will always be there. So anybody that's going through transition, whether that's divorce, whether it's a job change, whether it's, you know, the death or, or, or sickness of a loved one, of a life you thought was going to happen that disappears, anchoring ourselves on those five pillars is a really good way to help get ourselves back on track. So for me, I've Frankensteined those five pillars. So I get my income and identity as a college football analyst for CBS Sports and being a talking head on TV. And I'm super blessed and of the grace that I've been able to receive that I can support my family in those four and a half months. So those eight months, those seven and a half to eight months is where I check my community, my significance and my purpose boxes. And that's what I do around mental health and recovery and transition. And I got to say, boys, I won a Super Bowl. I've had as much success as a, a player, both from a team and an individual standpoint as you could have. But my life now is more fulfilled than it ever thought about being when I was playing football. Hmm. What is it? It's it's interesting, too, because I went through that. You know, I had three to five years of just, you know, I use the term floundering. Yeah. Um, and in, in, a, in a roundabout way, I kind of came back to football in that brought other blessings into my life, but like, you know, you go to a school like a Notre Dame to get that degree. We all graduate. There is the alumni network and yet still we struggle. It's, it's fascinating to me. And I don't know if that's just a byproduct of the game of football itself and that it takes, I've always looked at it, Aaron, it takes so much buy-in to be good at football. I mean, you can go out and shoot hoops. You can go out and take some batting practice, swing a golf club, but to, to play football and to be good, to be elite, to be special, you've got to be all in 
And then eventually when the game's taken away from you, you're reeling. So it's just, I love hearing people talk about it. I think it's, um, it's inevitable. It's a part of the sport, but it's something that I'm kind of passionate about. And, you know, my work with my young men that I kind of train and mentor, you know, that day is coming for them. And, you know, we've lived it and you just got to be able to kind of create a, an open path to say, Hey bud, you know, post college or whatever, hit up your boy. We can talk about it because we've all been there. So I just, I, again, I just really appreciate you putting it out there. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. The, our brothers and sisters in the military, especially the soft or spec op guys, the Navy SEALs, if you will. Those guys really struggle similarly post-career as we do for very, very different reasons. And I don't want to explicitly say we were grown men playing a child's game. Those were men putting their lives on the line for our freedom. So it's not comparable what we did, but the experiences and the feelings that we have are very similar. And that's no longer being an elite member of an elite group. Like that's a big piece and because, Mike, of what you talked about, like six, you don't have any options with success because it takes what it takes. So you can't choose to do other things. You have to be locked in like it requires that. So as a result, that retards our other interests, our creativity, the so parts true. of ourselves that we don't even know or appreciate. And I, it took me year three or four to figure that out. So those little pamphlets that come in the mail from the adult continuing education classes that every community has, I went through the book and I circled like four things that never in a million years would I enjoy doing. It was Tai Chi. It was photography. There was like a a pottery class and something else. And I ended up loving photography and I shot, you know, and got into photography for probably seven or eight years and traveled all over the world and have these unbelievable pictures. But I didn't know that I liked that. Nobody ever taught me how to use a camera. We've got them now on our phones, but this was the old SLR and the mm-hmm. you know, film and you know, like the whole deal. So I had the latitude and the luxury to explore what I was interested in because I had some coffee cans buried. So what compounds a lot of our transitions is boom, you're done. A lot of guys don't have their degrees. A lot of guys didn't make enough money. They've got to go find a job. They're they're trapped in the of what you can do and what you can get paid for, but you don't enjoy it. And that's called work. And then they get stuck in this rut and they don't have the momentum to get themselves out and to enjoy their you know highest life and, and recreate that fulfillment that they had as athletes. So it's a complicated problem and one that's not certainly specific to just football players but there is a solution in an app for it. And it starts among other things with those five pillars. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. I, I think it's the, it's the confidence piece and that you lose that identity as a ball player. So then, you know, where do I find the confidence to walk into that job interview and be myself without my former self? So it's just a fascinating transition. Did you, and I, I want to wrap it up, but I, I can't get enough of this. I mean, did you kind of sort through that all on your own or did you have some outside help kind of holding your hand? for lack of a better phrase? Well, my, my my best thinking was drinking wild turkey five nights a week. <laughs> <laughs> and as it turns out, that wasn't a good solution. So I found that yeah. out pretty quick. So first thing I had to do was get sober. And I come from a long line of alcoholics, you know, on, on my dad's side of the family, and I was guilty too. So that was a big piece. I had to get out of my own way. Uh, the other process was process elimination. I literally tried everything to start businesses and foundations and all that stuff. And what I learned is I'm not good at business or, or running a foundation or very detail oriented, but I am creative. I can inspire. I have an ability to articulate and communicate things. 
So it took a while, but can I start to partner with people that do have those skill sets that are necessary to create those things and just stay in my lane as a left guard instead of trying to be the GM and the head coach and the you know player personnel director and all these different roles that I knew nothing about, had no experience in and really didn't even like. I just thought it was a means to this end. So when I look at what allowed me to be successful as an athlete, that I was driven, hardworking, um, that I was team oriented, that I had leadership qualities, that helps me to start to separate the person from the persona, right? Because those travel just like run game and defense, no matter what I'm doing for work, if I'm accountable and I'm a leader and I'm team oriented and I'm goal oriented and I'm willing to work, like I'll be successful in anything I do. So the trick was identifying a, what those attributes or values were that were important to me and B then finding something that I could apply those in a way that was rewarding. And my wife is is brilliant at this sort of stuff. And, you know, she does coaching and corporate speaking. And one of the things that she's given me that I think is a, a damn superpower is she said, think about the things that give you energy versus the things that take it away. You'll know you're on the right trail when you can't wait to wake up and go get more of whatever that thing is. So trust the feeling and the energy you get. And that really helped me to let things go that were stress or pressure that I didn't feel good. And I'm just pouring all my energy to and nothing was coming back. And then start to look at those things that did have value that did fill me up. And then the trick is find ways to monetize that. And it might not just be one thing. Again, I Frankenstein mine identity and income with TV. I love it. It's fun. It's short. It's intense. I love it. But purpose, significance, and community is all this other work. And that's how I find balance. It's four months combined with eight months equal 14 months of fulfillment, if you will. I love it, man. Book's coming out soon, folks. (laughs) (laughs) We went from uh, Lou Holt impressions to Sam Hartman to big life topics. I mean, we we really covered it all. I'm the Whitney Houston of old Lyman, boys. I got range. You know what I'm saying? We can cover everything. The Renaissance man, baby. I love it. That was fantastic, Aaron. That was fantastic. And re- really appreciate your time, man. Appreciate you guys as well, man. Your uh, your podcasts and videos are outstanding. I know the Notre Dame faithful really appreciate what you guys do. And I just want to say thank you for what you do, not only for our school, but for the game of football and giving me a chance to come on and talk about some fun things, but also some things that matter. It's a good, good way to spend time. So I appreciate it. Dude, was that awesome or what? Hey, man. Uh, not bad. Not you're bad. Gonna, Aaron's a pro. You're going to uh, put me out of a job with your interviewing skills, dude. Hey, uh, you know, I think that's I think that's going back to the re, you know the recruiting thing, the coaching thing. It's like getting people to open up. Um, I think it even bleeds into my role, you know, in sales. Yeah, getting people to. I think if you're authentic, I think people feel safe to be authentic themselves. But. Um, yeah, Aaron is a That's remarkable cool. dude, and he was a remarkable football player. And I just, I you know, had a hard time kind of taking off there with that interview. But um, awesome. let's not forget how special of a, of a player he really was. As you know, you know, he was great in the fourth grade spelling bee, as he mentioned at the top of the. There's so much gold in there, man. I, I mean, his the Holtz impression is my favorite thing, and how he like he, he does this number with his mouth when he. He does the impressions. Fantastic. 
Um, yeah, I, it, it, it was great. I like you know his, his Whitney Houston line there at the end. He's got all the range. Um, it was fantastic. It was, yeah. It was a great interview. So, yeah, we've had Brady Quinn, Zivikowski, and Aaron Taylor on. And that's 100% all thanks to me. I'm just kidding. Ghouls, we set all those up. So I appreciate it, Ghouls. Yeah. Who, who do you want on next? Well, you know, you can add them. I think you've got all their contacts now, so it kind of goes into your Rolodex as well, right? So I do appreciate uh, all ships rise with the tide. I will I say, I talked Brady, to, I talked Brady to. Quinn did not text me back. He texted you back. I, you got the cashola. And, or not. Well, I helped you break the ice. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, yeah, who do you want on next? I talked to, uh, and I, again, I love the guy, Derek Curry. He was my teammate, co-captain. And I'd like to get Derek on with Courtney Watson, who was a, a Buckus finalist. You know, again, another Notre Dame great yeah. that people have forgot. He was a second round pick to the uh, New Orleans Saints. So I think I might get the three of us together. That almost selfishly, just because I'll be rolling. I mean, those guys have so many stories about our old linebacker coach and stuff. So I don't know. I'm open to suggestions. Um, but I think, yeah, Aaron, Aaron absolutely raised the bar. For us bringing on former players. Yeah. Yeah. People love to, uh, I mean, complain about stuff, right? You know what they also love to do, Mike? They love to drop comments on our videos about who they who we need to bring in next. So I'm sure our YouTube audience will do that. And uh, if you're listening via podcast, appreciate you as well. Please uh, leave us a nice review. And, and dr- when you drop a review, let us know who you want to bring on, who you want us to bring on a former Notre Dame player. So uh, we did have a couple super chats going. So if you're just joining us, I would highly recommend watching from the beginning because the, the, the whole Laurinaitis leaving Notre Dame and maybe one day Mike Goolsby as a coach. That was a great conversation. Charlie Weiss's last belt loop dropped the super chat. I wanted you to, kind of touch on this real quick, Mike, um, you know, uh, you're a perfect candidate. Notre Dame man can coach and develop needed bad linebacker position can sell the Notre Dame pitch firsthand. Any thoughts on this, Mike? Um, I, I, again, I think what makes me a good trainer and working with kids privately off, off to the side, as I've done for, I think probably 15 years is I'm 40 years old going on like 17 so, you know, even Aaron was kind of sharing your sort of like your first couple welcome to college football moments. I like that my welcome to college football as like a close to five star like linebacker coming in. I can remember like how painful that was to not know what you were doing and to have a coach that never really like got through to me and explained things. I like to use analogies that analogy that Aaron used to push in a car. I mean, I've used that with offensive linemen in terms of using the blades of your feet, et cetera. So I think the ability to like – analogies are huge, but to to resonate and relate with the kid because in my brain when I'm in that environment, I'm snapped right back to being like an 18-year-old and almost have an empathy for their lack of know-how and you kind of take your wisdom and your experience and just – it's my responsibility as their coach to get them to understand. As I like to say to them – if I, if I know that you understand what I'm saying, that's half the battle. Right. You know, as long as you understand what I'm getting at, we'll get you there. Yeah. But if, if you don't, you got to speak up. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I, that's a big, that's a big piece to it. And I think a guy like, if you juxtapose that with coach golden, last thing, Mike, if you juxtapose, you know, being a linebacker specific coach, Al Golden's, 
you know, he's kind of the head man. He's coming from an NFL background where so much of this stuff is just assumed, right? Uh, and then there's, you, you again, going back to that, like, as the player, like, there's times, Mike, you're afraid to answer, like, raise your hand and ask a question because you know that you should already know that, but sometimes you don't. And it's nice to have somebody to kind of like, hey, dude, it's all right. Let's pull you off to the side and get on the whiteboard and get you caught up. For someone who's not like, oh, I want to do this, you're you're selling me. You're, you're I never like, said want to do it. Well, I mean, you're not like uh, for someone who's not taking the job, or I, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm I'm struggling here, Mike. Well, you stir up a shitstorm. I haven't applied. I wouldn't even know how to how to apply. I'd reach out to a coach. None of that's taking place. I know. I know. For for. Yeah, you're selling me. So that's all I'm saying. You're you're subtly selling me. I'm on well, board. Yeah, maybe I sell somebody else if it if they happen to see this. <laughs> that matters. Yeah. All right, Snowman. The last thing before we get out of here, uh, Snowman says, uh, "Can Notre Dame win a national championship in the next two years?" How about uh, a great way to uh, end the show answering this question? Yeah, I think that 2024 is kind of the year because it'll be bucking. Think about this a lot. And that's why I was so, sort of so passionate and adamant about Tyler getting reps next year. Because I think, to me, on paper, you look at the recruits you brought in, year three with Coach Freeman, uh, 2024 to me seems like the most likely. Now, you could make a case that next year could be uh, highly likely because so many of these marquee programs are breaking in new quarterbacks. But we are, too, by definition, Granny's, you know, 34 years old, but, <laughs> but I absolutely think, I absolutely think that. And I think in 2024, I think you could convince Blake Fisher to come back, slide him over to the left-hand side, which is, I mean, having one of those two guys back in 2024 is massive. And you just have to plant that seed in his head. You've shown the NFL what you can do on the right side, kick over and play left tackle yeah. and move yourself up, you know, 10 spots, which ends up being you know, millions of dollars. And Charles Jagasaw on the right side. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Well, Jagasaw's, I think, going to be a guard, personally. But that's just me. Mr. Goolsby, fun show. Appreciate uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate you getting Taylor on. Yeah, we'll uh, – what's, what's – See you in two weeks. Yeah, that will be February 12th. That's the day of the Super Bowl. So maybe not February 12th. Maybe we'll go the 13th. I okay. think the fourth Super Bowl. So maybe we'll go the 13th on a Monday. But uh, all right, folks, that's going to do it. Go. Really appreciate you guys watching. Uh, hit that thumbs up, of course. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Head over to blueandgold.com. Hit the thumbs up. Hit the thumbs up. Tell them, Mike. Look them in the eye. Tell them, hit the thumbs up. Hit the damn thumbs up button, would you? Hit the damn thumbs up. Podcast, folks, leave us a kind review. Consider heading over to YouTube. All right, folks, that's it. Catch you guys next time.